0: Hi everybody, Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. Hope you're doing well. So I guess, why not? Let's have a chat about what is an argument. I've uh, started, uh, ah, the odds of it taking off are sort of like a hippo achieving wingless flight, but N-A-A, uppercase N, lowercase A, uppercase A, stands for not an argument, or nah, as in na-na-na-na-boo-boo and nah. Don't trouble me with your uh, mental noiselessness and uh, not an argument. So I get these questions, of course, and I say, it's oh, not an argument. It's not an argument, people. Well, what is an argument? Well, it's bigger than it is in terms of logic, like it's bigger than just logic itself. Because logic doesn't necessarily require or deal with the the, the challenges of empirical evidence. But first of all, be- like before we get into what is an argument, well, what is the purpose of even asking the question? What is an argument or what is not an argument? Which begs the question, I guess, of what is the purpose of philosophy? And since philosophy is simply valid thought, what is the purpose of valid thought? Well, the purpose of philosophy is to encourage the pursuit of virtue <clears throat> for the goal of happiness. Philosophy is a moral science. It's not a physical science. It's not physics. It's not biology. And those, of course, are subject to the scientific method, for which there are very strong philosophical arguments. But what differentiates philosophy from uh, physics is the ought, is the should. It's the, what I call, universally preferable behavior. The scientists aim to describe, not prescribe, right? And so uh, uh, all that is and can be accurately described, cataloged, predicted, and so on, through physics, biology, and so on. This is all acts of description, a mere recording of what is. But there's no ought in any of that. No, you should. Now, this question, which comes, comes up a lot from people... And I understand why. I mean, it's something that sort of threw me for a long time as well. You can't get an ought from an is. This comes back to Hume. Uh, um, you can't get an ought from an is. Well, I actually don't agree with that. I, saying you can't get an ought from an is is automatically getting an ought from an is, which is you ought not try to get an ought from an is. So I don't want to sort of go into that as a whole. But uh, so, so uh, a biologist is going to describe. Uh, life, uh, and its processes, and its mechanics, and its so on, right? And it will describe life's needs, but there's no ought in there, right? Uh, There's no ought in the mere description of life processes. So, for instance, ought a lion, or should a lion, eat a gazelle? Well, it doesn't really, uh, it's not really a rational question. Now, a biologist will say, yes, a lion will eat a gazelle. Or to, too, well, it's got a biological drive to stay alive, so yeah, it's most likely to, right? But the biological drive to survive is multi-generational, and you will often see in nature parents risking their lives to save the lives of their offspring, right? Uh, birds uh, will fight to keep kestrels away. Smaller birds will fight to keep kestrels away from their eggs or whatever it is that the kestrels want to prey on. So a biologist describes the processes of life. But a doctor wants to keep you healthy. There is an ought called health. A biologist will describe cancer. But a doctor will try to cure you from cancer. So this sort of think of the difference between a biologist and a doctor. A biologist describes a doctor prescribes, I guess, both figuratively and literally. And the goal of health is implicit. The goal of health is... Health is simply a state that all sane people prefer to illness. You know, outside of coercion and extremity and so on, right? Now, with philosophy, of course, the pursuit of virtue with the goal of happiness is... um, Well, it's as universal as it can be. And we do want universal happiness because if it's not universal, then it's not philosophy, right? If it's not universal... It's not science, right? And so we want universal happiness, which means uh, happiness which everyone can achieve at the same time through the pursuit of rational virtues. Respect for property, respect for personhood, and, and so on. And and those are sort of the necessary, right? Don't Don't jump off a cliff and, you know, you have the chance to be healthy. Do jump off a cliff, you really don't. And if you... Eschew evil. If you reject evil, right, violations of persons uh, and property, then you have the opportunity to be good. Uh, simply not being evil is not enough to be good. It's like saying everybody who doesn't smoke is extremely healthy, and that's, of course, not true at all. Now, if you smoke, you're not really going to be very healthy, but if you don't smoke, you it's a necessary but not sufficient requirement for for physical health. So, virtues must be universal, which is why it makes one person happy to steal money from someone else. Say you have a crap job you hate, and you, you know, whatever, right? I mean, you go and steal some money from someone else, then you don't have to work as hard and so on. But this can't be practiced universally not everyone can steal it can't be it can't be stealing cannot be universally preferable behavior for a variety of reasons i've gone into a million times before and you can check out freedomainradio.com/free in order to get more uh, more about this so the purpose of a philosophy is the uh, encouragement of moral virtues and the avoidance of evil with the goal of happiness. Now, happiness is more than the purview of philosophy, right? I mean, obviously, because you can be virtuous, but if you have a migraine, you will not be happy. Because migraines are horrible and brain exploding hell scenarios, the true hellscape of intracranial agony. You may be virtuous, but you won't be, uh, you won't be happy. And so the philosopher refers physical health to a doctor, a nutritionist or whatever it is that you want to, like however you want to aggregate your experts in order to help promote uh, physical health. But in the same way, a doctor uh, can help you with uh, physical impediments to health, but it's not the doctor's purview or role to help you with moral impediments to health, or basically immoral <laughs> impediments to health, to happiness, sorry. So you go to the doctor to keep your body healthy, which is necessary for happiness. And you go to the philosopher to help you pursue ethics, which, if you're healthy, will be the second sort of stage necessary for ...for happiness. So, that is, I think, the role of the philosophers... ...the promotion of moral virtue... ...for the sake of uh, the achievement of happiness. And this is startling for a lot of people. But it is important to know... ...what is differentiating between philosophy and other disciplines... Right, philosophy is clearly not physics because there's no point having two different words for the same thing. That's just confusing, right? And so the philosopher is there to encourage you to be virtuous, which is necessary for happiness if your other basic needs are already taken care of. So, why is it not something like physics and so on? Well, again, sorry, we already have the term physics, uh, geology or whatever. But reason equals virtue equals happiness, which is the ancient Socratic dictum as described by Nietzsche, is important. And virtue is an argument that is put forward. You see... (laughs) In physics, there's proof without choice. I mean, you can choose to reject proofs if you want to be mystical rather than into physics. But with physics, there's proof without choice. I mean, no one can reject gravity. They can reject theories of gravity. They can reject descriptions of gravity. They can't reject gravity. Human beings can reject morality, right? In this way, it's similar to whatever your doctor might prescribe as healthy life habits, right? Exercise and eat well and don't smoke and don't drink to excess and so on. Well, you can choose to reject those. You can't choose to reject physics. You can't choose to reject chemistry. You can't choose to reject biology. You can't choose to not be a carbon-based life form. I guess you could be Pamela Anderson and be mostly silicon-based life form. But you can't uh, choose to drink arsenic and be healthy, right? can't, but the oughts come with the choice. The is don't. You, you, you can choose to jump off a cliff, but you can't choose to jump off a cliff and not be subject to gravity, right? So the fact that there's a choice-based discipline is important. And that differentiates it from physics and so on, right? So I think that's important to understand. Or you have something different that is occurring, and therefore you need a different word uh, for it. Now, clearly, physical health has little, if anything, to do with moral health. Um, Hitler was a staunch vegetarian, although I've heard that's sort of a myth that was invented to make him sort of seem nicer or whatever. But Hitler was uh, at least purported to be a staunch vegetarian and took his exercise and uh, so on. And may have lived, in fact, to a ripe old age. Whereas uh, many moral people uh, may get uh, struck down by illness or whatever at some point in their life uh, early. Or as I wrote in a poem when I was 17, I think, two men in a wood, one bad, one good, are both eaten by wolves. So we, you can be morally uh, entirely corrupt and physically healthy. You can be morally very good... And you can be uh, sick as a dog, right? So we need to differentiate it from doctrine, right? And that's why. So I think I sort of made that. Okay, so that's sort of what philosophy is, is the promotion of virtue for the sake or for the end goal of happiness, which I think we all – you sort of really can't question the happiness thing. It's like saying, Well what if you really want to be unhealthy? Well, it's okay. If you really want to be unhealthy, you're not going to consult a doctor anyway. Uh, so if you're a masochist and when you want to get sick or whatever But happiness, as Aristotle said, is is the one state of mind we don't we don't achieve in order to achieve something else, right? So that's this is a very important thing about happiness, right? So like, you know, we go to work to make money, we make money to buy things, we buy things, let's say, to make us happy. But we don't buy things we don't we don't make ourselves happy in order to, right? That's the end goal. Happiness is sort of a a sort of self-contained end goal of life. If you're happy, it's not in order to win at golf, right? I mean, happiness is sort of the goal. You aim to win at golf because it makes you happy or whatever. So I think this is really important to understand as a whole, the degree to which philosophy is really self-contained around this ethical stuff. Now, people say, well, what about the other branches of philosophy, and metaphysics, a epistemology, the study of reality, and the study of um, truth and, and, and politics and so on? Well, the study of reality is important, but it's not foundational to physics. Sorry, not foundational to philosophy. It also occurs in the realm of physics and, and, and biology, and even to some engineering, of course. Right, so they, they all study uh, reality, So it's hard to say that to me would be a base province. I mean, if you look at the scientific method, it's got a very strict metaphysics, right? Which is that it's the primacy of empiricism over consciousness, right? Which is uh, in any conflict between the theory and the practice or the theory and the sense data, empirical evidence, the empirical evidence always wins, always wins. That's a really important thing to sort of process and, and understand And that's, I mean, that's different with religion, right? Then the primacy is con- of consciousness, right? Uh, faith trumps evidence, right? I mean, if you think of sort of the ridiculous examples where they say the world is 6,000 years old, but they can find dinosaur bones hundreds of millions of years old by carbon dating, and they say, well, that's just a test of faith. God has you just put those there to test your faith, right? So no evidence can overturn the primacy of the conscious belief. It's a primacy of consciousness, not a primacy of empirical, objective, sense-data-based reality, right? So you can't have science without a very strict metaphysics, the nature of reality, reality exists independent of the conscious minds and everything that's in the conscious mind must surrender to reality and blah de blah blah right? All that kind of stuff. That's all part of the scientific method. That's how, how it works, right? And so that metaphysics is very much uh, the essence of the scientific method and the epistemology, uh, how you pursue and achieve valid knowledge. Uh, this is in the scientific method. It's, well, you've got to have a rational argument and uh, because rational simply means consistent, universal, right? Fundamentally. And um, so y- if, if you say, well, this wavelength is, is blue in this area, uh and then under exactly the same condition is red uh, in this area well that's not a it's not a it's contradictory right it's not valid right um, under exactly the same conditions gases both expand and contract when heated well that can't be i mean that <laughs> that can't be valid that can't possibly be valid so all of these Conditions, I guess, or requirements uh, are very much part of the scientific method. And so here with the scientific method, you have uh, metaphysics, you have epistemology. So the idea that this is somehow foundationally the province of philosophy, to me, is not valid. Now, you don't have ethics in the scientific method. That doesn't really work. That doesn't uh, occur. So from that standpoint, you do have a differentiator. So, I'm not saying this has clinched the entire case for philosophy as a moral discipline. That would be a longer and even more technical work, but that's a case to be made. I, I think is reasonable and, and hopefully can be accepted at least for the remainder of this conversation. So, The question then becomes, what, what, what arguments have to do with this? Well, there must be some relationship between thinking and happiness. Happiness must be under the control of thought to some degree. If not, then it's all a a scam and a sham and me promising to give you a magic cape that allows you to overcome gravity and all this, right? Now, I know that that's not a very good argument to say, well, it must be the case, otherwise I'm a con artist. (laughs) But it's not the extreme that Hamlet says, where he says there is nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so. That to me is radical subjectivism. But shock biting off your leg can be good if you think it, but there must be some aspect of happiness that is under the control of the mind. because if that's not the case, then there can be no such thing as valid health care, right. Because healthcare says, don't smoke. And and whether you smoke or not, to some degree, is the result of your decision. That's why I tell you not to smoke. Like, if you, said to, if you said to fat people, listen, you don't need to lose weight, you just need to concentrate on being 30% less susceptible to gravity, that would be a ridiculous con, because that's impossible. You, you cannot will yourself to be less susceptible to gravity, or you can't say to fair-skinned people, Concentrate on creating a mental shield against UV rays so that you don't get sunburned. Don't worry about that silly and expensive sunscreen. It's whatever, right? Because the body's, the skin's susceptibility to sunburns for fair-skinned people is not under conscious control. But put on some sunscreen. It's great, right? And, and go buy some sunscreen and put it on. Is under. the the control of the individual, at least to some degree, right? So if no part of happiness is under one's conscious control, then everyone who tries to convince you for a better behavior relative to your goals is, um, is a con man. Now, Maybe they all are. I guess a determinist would say that they are, but then they would be predetermined to be con men, so there's no such thing as a con man. A con man itself requires choice. I mean, a computer program that spits out the wrong answer is not defrauding you or conning you. It has no choice. There's significant empirical evidence that... Changing one's thinking changes one's uh, level of happiness. Yeah. Good, good therapy has been proven to be many times more efficacious in achieving sustainable happiness, even than significant increases in income. So, the basic idea has to be that thinking has something to do with happiness, now, it also must be the case that truth has something to do with happiness in the long run. Like accuracy, honesty, truth, the correct processing of reality must have something to do with happiness. So let's take a, a sort of simple a simple example that's complex and deep and tragically all too common. So let's say you grow up you have a dad and your dad says you're an idiot to you five times a day you're just an idiot, you're stupid your thinking process is retarded, your brain is contemptible, you're never going to amount to anything, you're an idiot, you're stupid blah, de, blah, 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 right? Now let's say that this is not true that you have a reasonably good mind, and maybe even a great mind, or whatever. But now, it is not true that your father saying you stupid, saying that you're stupid, makes you stupid. Right? That, that is not true. If I say that Angelina Jolie is ugly and fat, does that make her ugly and fat? Well, no. I guess relative to a grasshopper with the face of Grace Kelly. Hmm. Save that one for later. Right, so me saying something does not, right? If I say your hair is purple when your hair is not purple, it does not make your hair purple. Now, if you think that you're stupid because your father says that you're stupid, then you are making a mistake. Right, so last year I was diagnosed with lymphomic cancer. And they did not create the lymphomic cancer or lymphoma. They did not create it by doing the test, right? By taking the um, the tumor out and, and analyzing it. Right? Because there was an objective measure for the presence of these cancerous cells and bloody blah, blah blah blah, right? So they didn't like they didn't say like if you if your father says you're stupid, that doesn't make you stupid. Now, if they say to me, Steph, you have cancer, that doesn't mean that they've created the cancer, but they're accurately identifying the presence of cancer cells, potential cancer cells in my body, the ones that were removed through the tumor and so on. So recognizing that people's descriptions do not create reality unless you believe them is important to happiness, right? happiness also must have something to do with a sense of control over one's own existence. If happiness has anything to do with achievement, and achievement has anything to do with ambition and a sense of efficacy, a capacity to plan for and control the outcome of your goals and desires, pride being, right, you can't be proud of the accidental, right? If you're born tall, or if you're born and grow up tall, you can't be proud of being tall, because sex. I mean, you can be, but it's it's wrong, it's irrational. You can be proud of being virtuous, because virtue is a struggle, it's a challenge. You can be proud of losing weight, uh, and so on, because under your control, you have choice. And so, happiness has to have something to do with one's mental attitude, and it has to have something to do with truth. And the more control that you have, that you exercise, the greater your chance of happiness. So that's sort of an Aristotelian mean, right? You don't want to believe you have no control over your life, because that is to become passive and inert. On the other hand you don't want to believe that you have infinite control over all factors in your life and reality itself because that's to be megalomaniacal grandiose delusional and insane right so that which rationally promotes a sense of control over your own life that you rationally mean you, you can achieve it and it's true will give you a greater chance of happiness. It doesn't guarantee happiness, right? It's pursuit of happiness idea, right? You won't be happy if you're completely inert in your life and never try and achieve anything or plan, right? Because you don't get the sort of rational pride of achieving yeah. virtue. And so, that which gives you a rational a rational and honest and accurate understanding of the degree of control you have over your life is important. Other people's words do not define you by their words, like just their words, particularly somewhat subjective characteristics. So, of course, if you want to achieve anything good in this world, then... Ten thousand people an hour are going to call you a bad person, right? Because when you try to achieve something good in this world, you threaten the interests of bad people, and bad people don't have good arguments, and all they have is slurs and insults and so on, right? I mean, the number of times I've been told to go fuck myself, to kill myself, that I'm a cunt, that I'm a jerk, that I'm an asshole, that I'm all—all all these kinds of things, right? Well, philosophy helps with that, right? Because I'm the wrong gender to be a cunt. <laughs> right? So philosophy is because other people's words do not define who I am unless I agree with them. It's our old Henry Ford statement. If you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. So philosophy helps because it gives me true, uh, a true and accurate understanding of the relationship between other people's words and my reality. Now, if my father, and he didn't, but if my father told me uh, five times a day when I was growing up, I was stupid and I believed him, then I would not try to improve. Uh, I would be less likely to try and improve my mind, to read books, to learn new things, to, to challenge myself, to aim high in terms of intellectual achievement and so on. I mean, if I were four feet tall, I wouldn't be trying to get into the National Basketball Association, right? Other than as a mascot or something, right? try to become a basketball player. And so, in a sense, stupid is, a stupid does, right? It sort of becomes real if you believe it. Or, in reality, it becomes indistinguishable from unreal. I know that's sort of a confusing thing to say. So, if I believe that I'm stupid, then I act in a manner, or act. I act exactly the same as if I was stupid. If I believe I'm stupid, I act exactly the same as if I was stupid. You know, exactly is a, is a tough word, but you, sort of in general, right? So if I genuinely believe I can't do something, it doesn't matter whether I can or I can't, because I won't try. And not trying is exactly the same as not doing. Right? this is it is really important because it's something that becomes empirically true though it is not factually true right so if i'm told I'm stupid and I end up doing some low rent dumb job and never trying to improve then there's no difference between believing i'm stupid and actually being stupid in in practical terms or right? you could say at some i don't know third world sorry third party observer omniscient where you can see all the brain cells you can whatever right but empirically it is um, if I have the most beautiful singing voice in the world but I never sing am I a great singer it doesn't matter right? if I have the worst singing voice in the world I'm obviously not going to try and sing much if I have the best singing voice in the world but I don't try and sing at all what's the difference between the two well in practical terms there is none I would argue So, if you're told you're, you're stupid, you're a jerk, you're insensitive, you're callous, you're cold, you're condescending, whatever, whatever, you know, people fire these machine guns of adjectives and negative terms at you uh, to, to stop you from bringing any kind of light to this planet at the moment. What does philosophy have to say about that? Well, um, first of all, if an assertion is made without evidence... It can be dismissed without evidence. Right? This is this is really important to understand in terms of efficiency and basic just troll resistance in the world. And trolls aren't just online, of course, right? It can be your flesh and blood. But anything that is asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. Right? I have a giant invisible spider on my head. Can't be detected in any manner whatsoever. Okay, I could just dismiss that. I don't have to test for anything because all tests have been rejected. So, if somebody says that your arrogance, right, arrogant, one of these words, who knows what the hell it means? It's just supposed to. It's just designed to get you to self attack, right? And it, it's incredibly frustrating for trolls when. <laughs> I mean, all they're trying to do is make shadow puppets that have you hit yourself. I mean, that's all they're trying to do, right? And they got no power over you unless you let them. So you're arrogant, right? Well, they have to have a definition of arrogant that you fit. And also some level of prioritization is important as well, right? So if I'm interested in getting rid of arrogance and I have a definition of arrogance, then I'd want to find pretty much the most arrogant person in the world and and work on them, right? But if somebody just says you're arrogant without any evidence, without any definition, and without any reasons as to why they're focusing on you, right, rather than someone else, then you just dismiss it. I mean, they're just just making fart noises with their mouth hole. I mean, there's, there's a different language, right? The language of philosophy and the language of assertion are opposites. So philosophy helps in this sense by helping you to understand what is true and what is false. Now, if someone says you're arrogant and a rational definition of arrogance is X, right? And here is the evidence by which you fit the rational definition of X. And here's my prioritization as to why I'm talking to you as opposed to the other person you were talking about, right? So I have debates, and it's sort of amusing sometimes to see. Like I, the other day, I can't remember why I clicked on it, but I had to spent like 20 seconds looking at the comments on my debate with Peter Joseph on the Zeitgeist channel. And it was all, you know, our staff embarrassed himself. He didn't know what he was talking about. You, you owned him. You cleaned the floor with him. You. Pawned him. <laughs> that kind of was all you know, without evidence and just assertions and so on, right? You know, rah, rah, my team, right? And uh, it, it, it's all it's all nonsense, right? I, it doesn't mean that I, quote, won the debate, whatever that might mean, but it means that they m- m- weren't making any arguments, but just making emotional noises with their breathing holes. And knowing what you can dismiss without examination is really important. In life, it's all about efficiency. And you don't want to try and reason with people who can't reason. So if somebody says, you're arrogant, right? And let's say in the debate with Peter Joseph, people say, oh, Steph, you were arrogant. It's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm happy to hear that, right? You give me an example. Sorry, give me a definition. Give me an example of how I fit that definition much more so than Peter Joseph. Uh, and of course, people don't do that. Anybody who starts with a conclusion, particularly an emotionally charged conclusion, can be dismissed with no further examination. Right? If somebody wants to make the case to me that I'm arrogant, yeah, then you know, make the case. But they know I'm a philosopher, which means that they know that merely asserting something is going to have them shrugged off my plate with a very quick mental yawn, right? Like they know I'm a philosopher. It's like if you know you're going to a physics conference and you're just going to go up there and say how you think your dreams might be real, then it means that you don't even understand what a physics conference is all about and you just have no idea who the audience you're talking to or the standards that they have. And so you can just be dismissed as an utter fool and a time waster and nobody has to sit there and and rebut you. So, particularly with, with me, I don't want to make this about me, I don't help you sort of understand rational thought processes. Anybody who starts with a conclusion, it's called begging the question to some degree, but anyone who starts with a conclusion is um, just doesn't understand what philosophy is. It's like starting a debate by saying, I'm right, I'm right, you're wrong, you're wrong. It's like, then you don't know what a debate is and you're claiming victory when you don't even understand the rules of the game you are a desperately deluded and time wasting fool who will leave nary a mark on the intellectual history of the planet and so correct true valid is the result of a methodology it cannot be asserted In advance, knowledge cannot simply be asserted in advance of any kind of methodology, right? And so, knowing whether someone can make an argument is really important to happiness because if you're committed to a rational methodology, clear thinking, rational thought, honesty, truth, virtue, then clearly you don't want to be wasting your time with people who are have the opposite values, right? Right? I mean, that that's really important. If you're on blue team and you want blue team to win, don't join the red team, right? If you're trying to quit an addiction... Then you don't spend time with people thoroughly committed to pursuing that addiction, right? If you want to quit heroin, you can't keep going and hang around with people shooting up heroin all the time and drinking and so on, right? Gambling. You just can't do that stuff. won't work. If you don't want to get a cold, then don't go and hang around with a bunch of people who have colds in an enclosed environment, Right? We are, I understand it, right? So all this is very important because philosophy, when we say something is not an argument, what you're saying is that the person has no idea how to think and they substitute sophistry, emotional manipulation, the languid, hysterical bullshit of uh, hasty emotional defenses for thought. They don't speak your language, right? If there's, if you're, if you're living in Japan and there's only one in a hundred people who speak English, it would be great if you could spot the English speakers right away from a distance or whatever, right? Sufficient. You don't want to sit there and spend, say, well, I'm going to accept this person's invitation to dinner and then I'm going to find out if they speak English and it's going to take me, you know, four hours. Uh, in, uh, I'll know right away. I have to stay there for. four. It's going to take you forever to find someone who speaks English, right? And you want to know whether you can see people who speak reason. You speak of a reason, eh? Hey, maybe we can have it a talk. You know, speak of the reason. I ah, begun it with you, right? Apparently, philosophy involves bad Mario Brothers invitations. So, can the person construct an argument? Constructing an argument starts with definitions, and then, right? So, uh, just think of science. You have a theory, you test it against empirical reality. And if the uh, theory is test, tests accurately or positively enough times, then it lends further and further credence or support to the hypothesis of the theory. Hypothesis becomes a theory when it's uh, become more empirically validated. So, if you want to find other scientists, you don't say... Uh, You you just don't, you know, if people say, I know this because Jesus told me, then you know you're not with someone who understands science. If that person is furthermore at a science conference or knows that they're speaking to a scientist, then they're just genuinely mental. I mean, they're just genuinely crazy. It's one thing to say, I know because Jesus told me when you're in church. It's quite another thing to say it it, at a physics conference, right? Or submit that level of anti-thought to a, a physics journal, right? So that's important to understand as well. Can the people even remotely think? So constructing an argument means understanding the purpose of your thought, having definitions that are objective and clear, and measuring behavior in particular when you're talking about someone, someone's characteristics, measuring behavior against your theory. And, last but not least, you have to not be displaying the vice when you are accusing someone of the vice, right? That, I mean, that's important, right? So, if I go up to someone and say, you're arrogant. Well, arrogance has a lot to do with uh, just believing that you're right and not providing proof or evidence for what you say. Well, somebody who says you're arrogant is displaying the very virtue that they're attempting to condemn in others. And this is very silly. It's very silly. And I mean, you can't possibly believe that. You're just an asshole. Well, what's an asshole? People who insult without any evidence. Well, okay. So I guess that comes. You know, it's like basically what happens about a thousand times a day is people call me out for jewel. I don't show up and they shoot themselves. Okay well thank you for saving me the time of getting my pistols ready because I didn't if you're just gonna go out and shoot yourself I'm not gonna get up at dawn and uh, any of that nonsense So this is I think why arguments are are important now it's hard to let go of this stuff right because when you let go of people who can't think well I mean you sort of kicking off the planet feels like heading into interstellar space to a large degree but uh, it is important to do it. If you're committed, right? If you're committed. I mean, you, you can't have a relationship with someone who can't think. It's like trying to have a conversation with a crazy person. You can't. You can't do it. I remember when I was a kid, I was going to go visit a friend with a bird I had. I was on the bus and there was this homeless guy sitting on the bus just kvetching at me about this, that, or the other, and I tried sort of talking to him, and eventually I saw other people just kind of rolling their eyes and shaking their head at me, I think I was like 11 or something like that, now, and of course nobody actually intervened, but basically they were saying to me, look, uh, don't you can't have a conversation with this guy, he's crazy, right, well, I'm just trying to pay it forward, people, we're on the bus, crazy people are talking to us all the time, and it's important to know if the bird can't leave the cage, at least we can leave the cage of crazy and look for, one's, look for a person's capacity to even have an argument, uh, first and foremost. And uh, that having been said, I hope that helps. Uh, thank you so much, of course, for your time, attention, and uh, pursuit of virtue. My, uh, my name is Stefan Molyneux. My show is Free Domain Radio. The donation is fdrurl.com slash... Donate. Have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful week. I will talk to you soon.